0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to episode five of the Asking for a Parent podcast. This is me, Dr. Coleman Ochter, and it's a pleasure to be back with you again. Just before we start, I just want to say thanks again to everybody who shared, subscribed, and downloaded the podcast. It's been absolutely fantastic. And when Adam and I sat down in September and we were just talking about how much people were struggling out there and how difficult it all was, and it was Adam's idea to come up with a podcast, we had no idea. We'd never made a podcast before, we'd never done anything like this, and so. We didn't have a clue how well it would be received or how far the reach would go. And really what has happened has been absolutely phenomenal. And we're just really, really grateful for everybody who's listened, shared and gotten your questions in. And if you have any more questions that you want to get in, you know, for the listeners questions episodes, you just can get through to us on askingforaparent at gmail.com or get us through the Instagram, Twitter and Facebook pages. Anyway, on to today's show. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest this week to the Asking for a Parent podcast. Today's guest is someone who I've never met before, but I feel she's like a friend to me because she's been a part of my last 10 or 15 years of my life so much. And that's a credit to her ingenious broadcasting ability. This lady's CV is far too long to go into, but if you were like me, you were introduced to her on the Today FM Ray Darcy show years ago, later to see her on the brilliant TV show The Panel, and more recently as the anchor of Ireland's Fittest Family. And I haven't even mentioned her success as the champion of Dancing at the Stars. So, yes. You've guessed it. My guest, is, I'm asking for a parent podcast this week, It's the wonderful Mairead Ronan. Mairead, thank you so much for giving me the time. I really appreciate it and it's lovely to get a chance to chat to you.
1: I well, What an intro, but I'm delighted to talk to you. Um, yeah, because I've heard you many times on the radio too, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we've listened to each other.
0: <laughs> um, how are you doing, Mairead? To To give the listeners some perspective, we're about to go into lockdown two. We've been through lockdown one and we're on the eve of that at the moment, so how is it all going for you? How are you managing it?
1: Um oh, not not great. Um I'll be honest, not good at all. I struggled over the last few days with you know the rumor mill, the leaks, the uh, will it be four? Will it be four and a half? Will it be five? You know, is Dublin doing better? Will the rest of the country be four? Will Dublin be back to three, you know, three and a half? What where is it going to go? Will the schools st- still stay open? And you know, both myself and my husband are self-employed. We have been here before, and we had no childcare during the first lockdown. So, um, and both of us were deemed that essential essential workers. So, I couldn't work from home. I couldn't broadcast a radio show with two babies. I mean, you know, a, a three year old and a one year old at the time of lockdown one. And uh, uh, Louis was very very busy in work. So, he would do the mornings. I would do the radio show as soon as I got home. He would go to work. And he would come home late in the evening after they'd gone to bed. And the thoughts of that again, hanging over me over the last few days, really didn't feel good uh, at all. So last night when I watched Michal uh, addressing the nation, I was somewhat relieved to hear that the schools were going to remain open. And I was somewhat relieved that we were still allowed to have childcare because we have the most amazing childminder. I have had the same childminder for 12 and a bit years. She's part of our our family and she's got her own family, her own husband and three kids. But uh, she's, you know, we've kind of keep her in our family too. And um, so I'm delighted to hear that at least that part is still going to be okay. But I'm really, I'm really devastated for so many of uh, the businesses around. Like I see them all the time around Clontarf where I live. I see them all around Today FM and they have behaved so well from the hand sanitizer at the door, not allowed to enter unless there's a mask, only allowed to enter when there's maybe two or three people in the the shop and no more. And you just have to feel so sorry for them right now. They're closing and you feel they're kind of going, what what have we done wrong? And I don't know. It's like, a. it's reminded me of a collective punishment that one of my son's old teachers did. It's kind of bringing it back to parenting here a little bit. But So he had this brilliant teacher when he was in either fourth or fifth class and this teacher decided to never discipline just one child in the class for doing something wrong so if one child misbehaved you know joked or laughed or talked during class the entire class was punished and it was a thing to see if they would work together as a team so like people would say oh my goodness patty why did you do that patty you know that we're not going to get golden time on friday now or And it was an interesting one to see. I I kind of thought it was unfair. You know, you're punishing 28 boys instead of just one. And uh, the situation we're in right now uh, as a nation feels like me my son's third class teacher, (laughs) because (laughs) so many people have behaved really, really well. Yes, collectively, I think we're all being punished. I know punished is the wrong word because we have to do this, but... I just feel, I feel so sorry for like the smaller businesses right now, but anyway, there you go. Okay. Yeah, no, it's
0: huge. I mean, I think the point of, um, you know, collective guilt is an interesting dynamic, you know, yeah, what I mean, from yeah. the point of view of whether it works or not. But I do believe that the messaging is na- is aimed at 10% of the population, as opposed to yeah. the 90 who are doing what we're supposed to be doing. You They're know, um, doing. And yeah. if anyone knows anything about psychology, it's about incentivizing the people who are doing it right. And I think when we've done all this much, Work, which it is work, back unfair.
1: Yeah, it is. And anyway. I think the kids are struggling a little bit. my middle child is struggling a little bit. She's four, and uh, she just cannot understand why we can't have people in the house. Why she can't go to Zoe's house? Why she can't go to Lily's house? You know, why can't I have a sleepover in Erica, who's her cousin? Why can't I go and sleep in Erica's house? You know, it's just the virus. It's the virus. It's the virus. That's all I'm saying to her. But um, you know, she's four. It's tricky.
0: And it's a real issue for children. They don't have the understanding of it. Do you know what no. I mean? And so yeah. you're asking an awful lot of four-year-olds to just yeah. you know keep ad- adjusting and adapting and everything. And your point about the working from home and the, the parenting from work and all that stress that goes with it, I think as parents, we were looking out not so much to see about wet pubs and things, but where playgrounds and schools were our kind of priority. And hopefully with the fact that there's still a, it'll be a different lockdown this time. I hope, we don't know, but uh, fingers crossed. It'll, with the grimness of the weather and the dark evenings, it's not looking good, but let's, let's try and appeal to some. some So in terms of parenting, introduce us to your family. So who's at home and you're a mum of who?
1: I'm a mom of uh, three children. I have a boy, Dara, who's uh, 13 and a half. I have a daughter, Eliza, who is four. And I have another daughter, baby. Uh, well, she's not a baby. She's two, Bonnie, but she's the baby of the family. And yeah, so she turned two in August. So yeah, I have a boy and two girls. I was married before. So Dara's from my first marriage and uh, Eliza and Bonnie are from my, my second marriage. And so, you know, I mean, there's plenty of families out there like me. I would have thought... Early on, I was quite unique, but not unique at all, which is wonderful. So, yeah, kind of that whole blended thing. But it's funny because I had Dara at an age that, you know, you're deemed young. Maybe it was at the time, you know, 26. I actually had just turned 27. So I was 26 all through my pregnancy on Dara, which, you know, I suppose in my parents' time wasn't young at all. But for me, I was definitely the first of all of my friends to have a child, So I was very young and I'm not sure looking back if I was ready to be a mum, but I've done a pretty good job and it's purely been winging it. And I have realized the older I've gotten, that's actually what every parent does. Even if you become a parent at 39 for the first time, I thought I was winging it because I had just turned 27, but every single parent and every first time parent, it doesn't matter what age you are, you are winging it, whether you're 22, 27, 39, 42, and sometimes winging it and learning on the job is, is the best way. Uh, what have I learned from from, from Dara then? Uh, from having him so young, he was just a really good baby, which was great. And then I became a mum again at 36. So there was this big gap uh, and I had forgotten everything. So I was winging it again. For so was a there a decade,
0: decade between?
1: Yeah, it, it's strange. Exactly nine years, but nine years between uh, Dara and Eliza. And the hilarious thing is... There is nine years in my own family between me and my sister. Wow. So my mum and dad had two girls quite close together, uh, like two and a half years between them. And then, you know, they had, they had no more children. And then my mum got really ill and she thought she was really sick. Like she thought she had cancer. Uh turns out she was pregnant on me at 40. So it was a, a lovely surprise. So uh, that's why I joke a lot of the time, uh, a lot of times, there's many people think I'm an only child, but I I always say, no, no, no. I have much older sisters because my sisters are nine years and 12 years older than me. So it's that, yeah, my family, my own family then has turned out the same way just in the reverse that uh, Dara is nine years older than his little sister and 11 years older than his next, uh, the baby of the family. And so it's, it's strange that it's worked. It's kind of worked out the same Which is is a
0: nice segue to the next question, which is how did your own upbringing impact on your own role as mom? And I know I've read you lost your mom when you were young. Um, Yeah,
1: yeah. um, I lost my mom um, the night before I turned 21. And the strange thing about life and age and at the time I felt like I was old and I, I don't mean old. I mean, I felt like I was old enough that this could happen to me. You know, I felt like, oh, well, I'm 20 now. So yeah, and, and my mum had me at 40. So, you know, this, may, this was kind of always something that could happen. And yet now, you know, I have friends, I'm 40 now. And I have friends who still have their mums around and couldn't cope with their mums going anywhere now. And I realised, God almighty, I was so immature. You know, and I looked at my sisters falling apart after mum died. You know, again, they were 30 and 33. And at the time I was 20 going, God, like they, they're really old. And like they're really really devastated about my mum's death, like and they had mum thirteen years longer than I had her, or ten years longer than I had it, you know I had her but um my own upbringing was uh was a really lovely one. We're from thingless we're from you know, i'm a, a working class family, but my mother every day of our lives always tried to make us be better, so when I would slip into like a very much Northside Dublin accent from being in school all day and I'd say school, my mom would immediately correct me and make me say it again over and over again until I said the word school. And for that, I was called posh all the time in my class in Finglas West and then in secondary school in Finglas as well, which, you know, I laughed at. But mom, mom always wanted, She she always wanted us to was be better you know when she was a real lady and she was into very much into appearance I mean like one story which like it sounds awful my mom was like gonna paint my mom in a terrible light here well my 18th birthday she gave me a gift from her and dad and gave me a big hug and a kiss and was you know I can't believe you're 18 and she said now a little bit of advice for you you need to curb that appetite of yours it's just a little bit too big and that was the advice on my 18th birthday and um, but the thing is, that is classic Maureen advice, you know. It was she was telling me like, "You're a child; you're allowed to eat all that food." But now you're a woman; you need to just rein it in a little bit. Because, and it's funny, my mother-in-law, Kate, my my husband Louie's mom, always says, "Oh my God, you're such a pleasure to feed." Because I really <laughs> love my group, but um, but I I came from a house where my my mom was the boss, and I always thought it was really strange when I went to. Friends' houses, and they would like, oh god, I have to ask my dad. Can I go to the disco? And I'd be like, your dad? Why on earth would you ask your dad? Like, your dads are like for lifts, and <laughs> like that's that's what my dad did not do the d- disciplining. He, you did not ask my dad for anything other than a lift. You know, it was, will you give me a lift into Club M because the taxis are too expensive? Or and was
0: your mum from Finglas?
1: No, mum, mum, and dad are from both from Cabra. But like, mum was kind of a woman, she was like, she was kind of ahead of her time in a way. And being from a working class background, like she set up a small business that did really well and then like sold it. And, and this business was a van, you know, like a shop, like a, a centre before centres, you know, a shop that stayed open beyond 6pm, like selling milk and bread and baby soothers and things like that, that people might need at 10 o'clock at night. She she did that. You now, I'm going way, way back, like my sister's 52 now so it was even before she had her you know so my mom was she was a worker and she loved loved working and you know she has three daughters who work full-time I can't imagine giving up work I mean I, I I love work and I think I love work because of my mom and dad you know work is not just about your salary it's it's part of your social life it's part of what you do and that's that's yeah that's kind of the house I'm from.
0: So so in your growing up kind of doing your best and being the best that you can be was important. work ethic was important.
1: Oh, work ethic was really important. Like they just and on the flip side of that, again, not to criticize, my parents were amazing. But on the flip side of that, downtime and relaxing and, you know, kind of doing nothing was not a good thing. You know, right. so that was that was not a good thing. So I have I have found I struggle with just sitting down. And, and i think like this year there's been no holidays you know we haven't been able to go on a holiday this year so i had a week and a half off in april and we were obviously in lockdown at the time and we were in the two kilometer lockdown so i couldn't even i couldn't go anywhere beyond literally our our area and i found all, uh, what i did was sort out the house tidy at the hot press sort out my daughter's wardrobes Take the clothes out that don't fit them anymore. Clean skirting boards. Uh, tidy out the attic. Um, fix the place up where we keep the Christmas tree in April. And because doing nothing and relaxing it was just wasn't in my my upbringing at all, it just wasn't there. So
0: how, how does that translate into your parenting now?
1: I probably have a touch of it as well. I I mean, it, my husband is very good at just saying, leave that. Sit down we're going to watch the movie at six 30 on RT. I don't care what one it is, or, uh, he's very good at, we're going to make hot chocolates and just sit down and, uh, or we're just going to walk the dog. And yeah, I just find sometimes I'm a little bit of a hamster, you know, just keep, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And, uh, that's 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 not that's
0: not real lockdown mentality it's
1: not real lockdown (laughs) mentality and like my dad is 82 he is so healthy and he is go 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 he doesn't stop he's you know there's only him in the house and he is still doing things in the house to improve the house like you know he's took all the kitchen doors off to repaint them and change the handles and I'm like what I'm saying to him why just relax he's like oh god no no I couldn't let the kitchen now fall to rack and room but that's yeah, that's you might that's be a bit,
0: a bit like your dad too then, right?
1: I hope. Well Jesus, I hope I'm, i hope I have his health. He is he's like a creaking door. Like that's all he's got nothing wrong with him, but just like, you know, he's got like a slightly sore left foot. Um, <laughs> and that's and, and at eighty two, that's incredible. Yeah, and he, that. looks, he looks he looks like he's in his sixties, a cheek of him. Yeah, he looks really old too.
0: <laughs> so when you're parenting and, and you're you've got these the three kids at home, it must be difficult to find things that apply for all three, because a 14-year-old and a four-year-old, even saying about the, the RT movie at half six, Yeah. how do you work that in terms of...
1: Yeah, yeah I have to say, Dara is a really mature kid. So uh, kid slash young, becoming a, like a young man. He's very, very good with his little sisters um, and he gives them the time. Now, he obviously goes off to his dad's too. So like there are Saturday nights that he's... <coughs> Not like not here or Sunday nights, he's not here, but he he's very, very good. He will play, get down and get into a game with his little sisters because he sees them for what they are. They're just two little girls. So, uh, and like Eliza, a lot of the time Eliza wants Dara to put her to, to sleep, put her to bed. So he will read her a story and stuff like that. So it, it is really lovely. So Dara would be great. That's
0: nice. Not- very no. adolescent but, boy typical fair play to him
1: it is good but then i can spot when he just needs that full time out where he just needs to be up here in this room that i'm talking to you right now and he needs to be up in his room or kicking a rugby ball and uh and not having a four-year-old uh, around him so you can that's just fair. spot that yeah 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 when he wants mm. to watch netflix and not watch something that's four, five, four four-year-old you know but uh, I've parenting boys and girls is definitely is definitely different, and I, I I'm from a family of all girls, so I I didn't see that growing up, and then both of my sisters just have girls too, so I'm the only one in the family with a boy. Yeah, I think I mean this in in the nicest possible way, but boys are I think simpler to parent. I think they're very black and white I don't know if it's just my son but I have just found he was just easier in the in the younger years and even now it's very much ask for something get an answer that's the answer it's yes or it's no but with girls I just see it that it's just not the answer it's try again push again keep pushing keep going keep asking ask a different way ask dad and you just didn't have that with Dara
0: well, you're, you're bringing back the old adage that you know many would criticize him to hear this but you know boys wreck your house and girls wreck your head and that's yeah I, it, you know, there's some truth in that and i suppose before we talk about that i mean it's important to recognize there's a gender neutral movement that doesn't like the pinks yeah. and blues and all that sort of stuff and and rightly these kind of social norms shouldn't limit children to being certain ways all that sort of stuff and behind that but boys sometimes are just boys and girls are sometimes girls and they do need to be dealt with differently. Mm -hmm. If you're dealing, you're dealing, parenting is largely a responsive role to responding to what happens as opposed to, and that's why there's no one way to parent because that would suggest that every child is the same and they're not. So, so throw out the the idea that there's any one way to do Parenting is about flexibility. It's about reactiveness and it's about being able to gauge it. So the huge task of parenting is pacing. So, how do I introduce enough independence into the child's life at a level that they can manage that encourages them to grow without disabling them by doing too much for them or overwhelming them by giving them too much responsibility. And so you have to do that by trial and error. And in the same way with, with, with children, if you're reacting to a boy or a girl, you're going to have to find a strategy that's going to match with their psyche. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so ter- encouraging a, a, a boy and you're even an adolescent boy in, in the house. So, my guess is that you know, deep and meaningful emotional declarations of what happened in school today probably are not par for the course <laughs> of that. So expecting that would be unfair. You know, whereas the girls may, they're still very young, but they may well give you a full breakdown of Paris said this and Marie said that and they fell out with this. And, and so you have a lot more to go with. But your response as a parent is going to be different because the problems that they come with and the manner in which the problem comes to you is different. So you're going yeah. to have to be different in how you manage it. So is there a different way to parent boys and girls? There is a different response because you're dealing with different things. And what would be the different challenges that you'd see between Dara and the two girls? It's Eliza and,
1: and Bonnie. Bonnie. So Bonnie's Bonnie. A, yeah, Bonnie's in the two and you know, she's kind of rearing herself. We keep joking that she's going to move out when she's 13 because she's just kind of... She's just looking at Eliza, so she kind of thinks she's four as well, even though she's only two. So she's trying to do all of the things that she's doing. But with Dara, it was just, I don't know, it was just very much, the answer was the answer. And it still is with him. Like, if he says, can I do X? And I say, well, no, you can't because of the guidelines right now. It's like, okay. He won't say, oh, but... Paddy's doing it or Connor's doing it or uh, whereas with Eliza I get that right now I just find and Eliza is very much into stuff things and like just stuff like just from bobbins to hairbands to Barbies to balls to colours and she wants stuff and he didn't and yet they've been raised in the same house I just find it uh, I find it fascinating that Two children can be brought up in the same house, yet have very different, very, very different personalities. And then, you know, so when I just had the two of them, I was like, oh, wow, this is a boy-girl thing, you know.
0: And, and it could be, but I think, Brady, I'm going to talk to you about now is an inside secret. And no psychologist or psychotherapist will ever talk to you about this because it's something we don't understand. And it's a thing called temperament, right? And they, <laughs> yeah. it's, they are, it's incredibly influential in who your child becomes and there's nothing you can do to change temperament they just have it that's who they are and you have to work with it rather than against it you know what I mean so let's take Eliza has an inquisitive temperament she has she she sees things as a little bit gray and if there's gray there's space to move it you know what I mean or to change it and so there's an ingenuity in that you have to admire her for not just being accepting of it and you'll Mm. want And it's really interesting because with teenage girls, the worrying things when you're doing an assessment of a teenager is a parent who says, I've never had to raise my voice to her. She's such a good kid. She's so compliant. She ne- you're going, that sends red flags off for me all the time because oh God, this, child oh no. has, this child has no voice. Whereas, okay. And girls use their voice much, much clearer yeah. than that. Whereas boys tend to behave. They don't, so if you think we're all emotional, cognitive and behavioral beings, so we all feel, think and do. Boys feel and do. The thinking's not so much in there. Girls feel loads and think a lot more and do probably a lot more as well. So the issue is that you're going to, there's much more visibility in terms of a a girl. But one of the difficulties around teenage years, and when they get to that older thing, is tolerating grey because childhood is very black and white. So you've goodies and baddies, cops and robbers, and everything's very clear where things start to get complex is when you hit the gray phase. And you'll probably hit it with your girls around fifth or sixth class where they'll start to go, she's really nice and she's friendly, but she's kind of mean as well. And How can she be mean and friendly? And how do I, you know, mix yeah. those two things together? And girls will hit into that and clue into that around fourth, fifth class. Boys don't, I think, ever hit into that. There's just kind of, misty things very categorically. And, and again, I'm going to probably be attacked for generalizations, but just because it's stereotypical doesn't mean it's not true. There yeah. is an, an issue with that. The only thing that I, I think you need to be concerned about is, you know, in a world of princesses, don't be afraid to be Batman. And that's fair enough. But yeah. don't be afraid to be a princess either. That's what you want. And if, you, if she's into that stuff, albeit because it's a social construction or just because she likes st- that stuff, allow her to be that too, just because... Yeah. You're girly doesn't mean you're going to be a victim of the patriarchy or anything like it. So it's gender should never limit children. It's only when it limits it that it becomes a bad thing. But yeah. as, a, as a parent, from a strategy point of view, from a purely practical point of view, there are different ways of approaching a boy than a girl because the problem is different. And so yeah, your reaction problem, and, and flexibility has to be different. So if you try and approach a boy issue in a way that, a girl would suit a girl so by saying let's sit down and have this really emotional conversation and tell me everything about it <laughs> he's got to choke up and close up and say it's not for me you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah of course. And,
0: and if you say to eliza just win and decker tomorrow you're know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not going to find that satisfying because you're not going through the problem you're not talking me through it so yeah. yes they're different species and therefore they'll bring different issues and therefore as parent you have to be different but yeah. never subscribe to the parenting book that says this is how you do it Because that's rush. Absolute nonsense. There's it's it it is about trial and error and it's about trying to get it as right as you can.
1: That's the thing, as right as you can, like so right. You know, before 2020, I never had a 13-year-old boy before. So this is my first time having a 13-year-old boy. And I've also never had a four-year-old girl before who's you know so verbal and has a big personality. So I find find even as a parent, each stage is a different stage like it's very easy to parent a baby you know because they just I don't you know you're okay you're sleep deprived but it's very easy to just feed them change them take them for fresh air it's when they start to move and have personalities I think that's when parenting really becomes challenging uh, it's a funny one because I think before that people tell you oh you're going to be so tired when you have that new baby and actually you can be exhausted when they're 13
0: mm-hmm. worrying about
1: thanks too so it's just a
0: different sleeplessness, right? A different uh,
1: one.
0: <laughs> Wait, waiting for him to come home from parties and whatnot. My but 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 I think you're right. I mean, and I think certain parents are better at the baby thing, and some are better at the the middle child's like activity thing. Like the three phases of childhood: are, the to- the toddler y kind of thing is difficult. You need to have the patience of saint around and that, and then that busy bit in the middle is all activities. So you're going to like taxi person, going to gymnastics, and then going to this and then to that. And then in the teenage years, you have to again re- embrace the kind of patience of a saint piece, but it's a bit more verbal and articulate. So you need to be able to, and what I'd say to any parent is, is trying to keep the lines of communication open for the teenager because it's all about approachability. Do you know what I mean? Uh, because and like you said about uh, your eldest boy, uh, he's trying to find his own independence and that involves privacy and that involves his own space and it involves him being quieter and it involves him you know finding his own world and we have but to allow there's, that a there's bit.
1: definitely a fine line isn't there between at that age being their parent and being their friend because mm. obviously you want to be the friend they come to to talk to but you also have to be their parent, and i think that can be a tricky a tricky one
0: yeah and i think all these things are are aspirational do you know what I mean? everything about parenting is aspirational you're not going to nail parenting all the time nobody does you know i've said it before you know we're all just trying to do the right thing all the time or make up for when we do the wrong thing and that's that's what parenting is so we need to give ourselves a break in that way but the issue around the balance between friendship and parenting is about containment right and i've given this piece of advice a few times but i just think it's crucial If you can get your teenager or preteen to know the difference between what is being listened to and what is being agreed with and establish that difference really early on, because that's the biggest miscommunication. My mom doesn't listen to me. She does listen to you. You said you want to go out till three o'clock in the morning. You're 13 years of age. She listened to it. She's just not agreeing with it. She's saying you have to be in by nine. Right. And so establishing that understanding creates that means you're not friend and and being a parent means giving your child what they need not what they want yes and yes. children what children want that's is great. oftentimes right. not what they need and your role as the parent as the adult in the room is to say I know you want that but this is what I think you need and that's okay. where we but that's where the crossover that's where you can't be friends because friends will just give you what you want they don't and to give you what you need and there's enough out there to that's giving children what they want all the time so the role of parent has become even more important than ever before and I, I think I'm probably touching on probably something you want to take up next is that kind of social media issue where yeah. you know the algorithm of social media Maid, it just gives us what you want so if you're looking up donuts all day it'll just keep giving you donuts there's no point yeah. in the day that the, the online world says you know, it's five o'clock, you've had 17 donuts, would you not try a drop of water? You know, it's not going to do that. It's going to keep giving you what you want. So you have to regulate yourself as a user and say, okay, now I'm stepping back, or now I don't want to do this anymore. And regulation is one of the hardest things to do. We know around food, around diet, around exercise, trying to be disciplined is one of the, trying to, managing human desires is a real problem. So for teenagers who are pretty poor at regulating, you're asking them to do an incredibly difficult task self-regulating in a world that is basically a village of desire. What you want will give you. So if you search anything on YouTube, we'll keep giving you more and more. And we we'll use the algorithms to know what you like, but they'll also, the algorithms will kind of hack your vulnerability as well. So if you're looking up weight loss or you're looking up something kind of nasty or sinister, it'll just keep giving you more and more stuff than that. Nobody on the in on the online world says, this is a 13-year-old boy. Let's not do yes. that. And That's- so... Yeah. So before they enter the online world, they have to have some degree of self-regulation, which I
1: know. is it's, it's bloody
0: difficult, you know, because it we're is asking them bloody to hard.
1: I mean, think. so Dara's not on any social media. He will be fourteen next April. He's one of very, very few. I think he's got one other friend who is not on any social media, and he made a pitch in July or August of this year, that was a really, really good pitch. Like, I mean, he prepped this pitch and it was really hard to still say no at the end of it, but I did. And so he has a phone and I'm saying, but you can contact whoever you want on WhatsApp and text and you can phone them. So you have no need to be on social media. And it's strange. He's fully accepted it now. Like July, yeah, July, August, it was tricky, but he has accepted it now that, okay, fair enough. I'm 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 not going on because I keep telling him uh having a phone that's paid for by somebody else is such a huge privilege. Um so you know, take take the privilege for what it is now and and that's it. But I know Eliza, it's just going to be different for the girls because it's going to be in ten years' time, she'll be 14. You know, I, I there's no way I will be able to hold her from social media for 10 more years. I think if I do, there'll be a study of scientists looking into how I've done it. But um, Or maybe I can do it. Maybe, you know, maybe I can, but I don't think so.
0: I mean, I don't know. If things don't change, Eliza will be the kid looking for the phone for her communion. You know, that's yeah. the, the way it's going to be because the age keeps dropping. We're, we're, we're following the lowest common denominator. So the first parent to break sets the trend for everybody else, which is yeah. really difficult, which is hugely commendable on your management of your son to keep him off it to 14 that's the first thing i'd say that's miraculous and in this day and age
1: 14 next april he's still (laughs) 14 but yeah i mean it it
0: is an achievement is it yeah yeah i mean i think if you if you're talking about most people the the smartphone age is is 11 12 at this point you know it probably was something earlier but the the issue is and this is probably where i'm going to say something i don't usually say he will have to be introduced to it at some point. And the older the older he is, the less surveillance over it you're going to be able to have. That makes sense. So if you turn around to 17 and say you can have social media now.
1: Social media now. Well that's I I mean, I think at 17 it would be nearly too old.
0: So exactly yeah.
1: Like but I really don't feel at 13 he's any need to be on Instagram and Snapchat. I know at 15, maybe his next birthday, 14, I don't know, but I think at 15. He can be uh, old enough, and uh, he can be trusted with it now. It's it's not. I just feel that other things will go. He's fabulous at sport and loves sport. He does music in school. He has loads of friends. He's great at chatting to people. He loves reading, and I feel like one of those lovely things in his life will suffer if he ends up, you know, with his head in Snapchat uh, or Instagram because it happens to all of us.
0: And I, I think from the point of view of when we're developing a relationship with technology, that's exactly what you're doing. So it's no different to the relationship we have with junk food or whatever the case may be. It's about you, you, you kind of gradually integrate yourself into it, and, and it should take up a position in your life that's relative to its importance. It should never be right. too important, and that's really hard to do. But you're absolutely right. I remember just when you were talking there, there was a lady – came up to me after a talk and she was a grandparent and she said to me that they had bought a swing for their grandchildren and there was four of them they all used to come over and she said since they all got phones at about 10 none of them use the swing anymore and the swing is overgrown and there was this kind of sense of every time they're developing a new technical skill, they're losing another skill or another enjoyment piece. And so I think from that point of view, elongating that childhood yeah. As much as you can do. And childhood is shrinking. Children are getting younger, older, or older, younger. Younger, and things yeah. that, Things that we would see traditionally in second year of, of secondary school, we're now seeing presenting with fifth and sixth year olds. So eating disorders, all this sort of stuff. So, so the exposure is there. And protecting them from it is going to be very difficult through prohibition. Do you know what I mean? To try and keep it mm-hmm. out. But the, the way, indeed, that I would say it is about trying to teach them self-regulation and trying to teach them the proper ways to do it. And in your your son's case, you need to kind of give him a message that he you trust him as well. Judging mm-hmm. from the point of view that he's earning a lot of the stuff here. He's doing all the right things. And, you know, I, it would be important to acknowledge that for him and say, look, I know you're playing ball here and you're really yeah. doing everything I'm asking for you. And you will get this and we'll get this for you. But yeah. just not yet or whatever the case may be. And it's you know sometimes it comes back to that you don't trust me, and it's not that I don't trust you. It's not oh, that anything's yeah, do it. Absolutely it's about, not
1: that. And he knows he knows that too. Mm-hmm. He knows that too. That's why he's got the phone. He has a phone. He can mm-hmm. contact whoever he wants. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a case of why do you need to be on Snapchat or TikTok or and Instagram? Because it's once mm-hmm. he goes on, well, he's on all. You know what I mean? Yeah, all yeah, like,
0: yeah. And too. and I th- I think you're right to space it out. And I absolutely yeah. do. I I would you know start tight and widen as you go. I think that's probably the best. So having a phone or technology is not a human right. It's a responsibility. So you show the responsibility, you earn the right. You don't give the thing and say, have at it and come back to me with (laughs) a problem. And, and, you know, buying the device or putting on the app on the phone, it is, it's like buying the puppy. You will be picking up the shit rather than, you you know, everything else. The work is only starting then. And I think with Dara, you you should be fine. I do think with the girls coming along, there is a different challenge because mm-hmm. the demand is high. And I'd say to you, from all the things that we know, and we don't know an awful lot about technology in terms of so recent, but the more vulnerable the person is to the feedback, the more they need it to be scaffolded. So if somebody's on Instagram and really cares about what's coming back at them, it, then the potential for them to be hurt by it or affected by it yeah. is much greater than someone who can kind of take it or leave it. So... The kid who you say, come off the tablet and go outside and they go, here, see you later, and they give it to you, they'll be fine. Whereas the kid where you're kind of prizing the, the tablet from their cold white knuckles is the child who might need an extra little bit of help in terms of that, because they just have shown a vulnerability to it, you know, and okay. it's very alluring and it's very addictive. It is. I mean, the, the, all the stuff around the feedback and everything else is all based on casinos and gambling and keeping us, you know, it's an attention economy. They want time on screen and that's why they're pitching to us. Um, And so they're gateways into other behaviors. So the the girls might be a different challenge, but it's about making sure that they have a good sense of themselves before they go on it and that they don't develop the sense of themselves on it from the point of view of, because resilience is about your relationship with yourself. It's not about anything else. So if you're the more resilient people know, I'm trying my best, I'm doing my best and this and I'm not. That's the thing. Children who have that do better online and offline, and they're just more resilient to things than children who don't. And I'd say to you, and I've said it in all the podcasts because it comes up all the time: don't mistake self-confidence with self-worth. Okay. Do you know what I mean, so self-confidence is how you portray yourself and project yourself outwardly, whereas self-worth <laughs> is your relationship with yourself. So if you come off a show and everyone's going, "Ray, you're amazing, fantastic," and you're going, to have yeah. things. "But if you think you were rubbish." Your truth is the only truth that matters. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So so the issue is to try and get them to really have that inward relationship with themselves about doesn't matter how good you are at hurling or how fast you are, how quick you are, how bright you are. How kind are you? How meaningful are you? How generous are you? How loyal are you? And those internal variables. We're living in a world that really that stuff is not being valued. It's all... It's And I I, I refer to it as the kind of Tinderization of society where everything is your front picture, your profile, your witty one liner. So everything is front of house because your risk, if you don't have the good front of house, you don't get swiped left or right and you don't get seen. So your children and our
1: children. Yeah, people. Well, okay. The next generation, you know, won't have as much depth.
0: The risk is that we become a performative society. And mm-hmm. the risk is that I've seen so many teenagers who are saying to me now, and this, isn't, this is not, a, I'm in this game for 25 years, but in the last five years, they're saying, I spent my whole life being who other people wanted me to be and I forgot okay. to be myself. And it's yeah. really about that authenticity. If you're authentic, whether you're good or something or not, it is irrelevant if you're yourself. And it's the worry that I have is that culturally, we're becoming performative. So it's about a currency. It's about numbers. It's about how you portray yourself and that's what's that's what the online world and the narrative is about it's about gratification it's not about fulfillment you know everything about technology is gratification based it's not fulfillment so if I go to the gym today for nine hours I'm not going to look any different after the nine (laughs) hours but if, if I went 20 minutes three times a week for six months I'd see a difference so that's a fulfilling experience whereas the gratification of press that get that is where that's the narrative that we're getting seduced into, if that makes sense. Mm Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so it's really about, and I'd say to all parents, just try and hammer home the internal variable that, you know, you're and a reward, catch them being good, and tell them about all the things that they're good at that doesn't involve league tables, medals, prizes, stars. It's about kindness, generosity, meaning, and the value system that you took from your parents, work ethic drive on. you know all that sort of stuff keeping busy productivity you know being there for each other all those things don't throw that out with the bathwater because okay. you know we we can be taken aside by the avocado brigade that are telling us all this sort of stuff's important we have to do this and we have to do that but then, is, is there like
1: a reward system uh, and i don't mean like a system so rewarding rewarding kids for stuff they do is definitely still a good thing
0: like- yeah, it's it, you reward the stuff you want to see more of, Okay. Right? So, so if you're right. only rewarding their skill set, that's all they think you want to see. Do you know okay. I mean? so you so, re-
1: rewarding Rewarding, uh, say, Eliza, for sharing some of her favourite toys with Bonnie would be... Ca-
0: catching them being good. That's yeah. the time to give the prize. Okay. When the, when they're in there, the two of them, quiet and playing together, you go, great, I'll get time to do to the dishwasher, I'll do this, I'll get that done. That's not the time to leave them alone. That's the time to go in with two mom suites and go... Great stuff, girls. Loving this. Catch them being good because childhood is about visibility. I want you to see me. And if you only see me through my misbehavior or the more you listen, the less I shout. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So you catch them
0: being good. And that's how you incentivize. It's simple. It's just not easy because Mm -hmm. you have to be on it all the time. But if you think about it, how many times do we interact with our children to tell them to stop doing something rather than telling them to do more of it? Do you know what I mean? I
1: know. And
0: and again, and I always said that, which is pre-COVID, but I used to say to people, count how many times you tell your children to hurry up in one day.
1: Oh my God, yeah. It
0: will frighten you from the point of view of that. So we just need to kind of, and maybe as we reboard after COVID and we talked about COVID at the start being very grim, I do think there's an an opportunity for us to kind of empty out the jar and repack it in the way that we want. Yeah. We prioritize the important stuff and don't sweat the small stuff and put that to last. And I do... I think there's no window of opportunity in that for us at the moment, you know, grim and all as it is, maybe as we reboard after this, it's about just doing it a little bit differently, you know, yeah. making wiser choices, you know. I,
1: I think uh well, I think you're right. I think um but in the in the in the early days of COVID one, I think all sorts of rules went out the window, like everything went. I think that happened for everyone though, bedtimes and treats and and was, and I
0: have talked about nice. this at at everyone and I I, I always end up the, the conversations around the COVID thing as saying maybe we're not failing everything, maybe we're surviving everything, and I think that's what we're doing, so your kids had too much screen time today, look, they're still loved, and they're safe, so they Mm -hmm. had no homeschooling today, who cares, they're still loved, and they're still safe, and it is about, that's enough, actually, the other stuff is extra, and that's where the kind of WhatsApp group, and the Instagram groups drive you cracked with their, uh, we just did two hours of Latin, and now we're making a Ro- robot concert after we go out and take pictures of hedgehogs and you're going How the is this happening? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and that's that's the comparative culture that's the stuff that we get that's that's where we invite unhappiness into our lives in, the, in that sense yeah. do you know what I mean? by comparing ourselves in that way you know I
1: mean? <laughs> yes that is that is definitely the thing not the thing to do compare yourself to somebody else um because generally the people you follow you kind of admire so then you're you know you're comparing yourself to people you admire which you know doesn't never never works never works
0: for anyone and we're in survival mode we're, it's nothing other than that um mm-hmm. and yeah that it's not a time to be taken by the the instagram posts of the hedgehog finding and just no definitely you know, not. <laughs> get trying definitely to get through
1: not it that. no
0: but then um, listen marie we've run out of time but just one last question uh, yes. that i'd like to ask it if we can imagine 20 years hence and you're sitting on a Sunday afternoon reading the newspapers and yourself and your husband are there and the children are all grown at this stage, what would you like to be able to say, I did okay? What would you? How would you like them to be?
1: Oh God, I really, I hope they are happy. I hope they're in happy relationships Um, and if they're not in a relationship, I hope they're happy, but they strike me as children who like company so I think they would like to have someone in their lives so in 20 years time when they're 22 24 and whatever 34 um gosh maybe Daryl will be married you know have a nice partner and I that's 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 what I would like I mean and,
0: just, and I think if, if that's where your value system is and it's a really good one it is about the relationship with themselves you know yeah. if they can love themselves. Yeah. They will demand love of other people. And it's, it's always the case of, you know, our voice to them is the voice that they hear inside their head. If we're telling them really valuable stuff, not that they're special all the time, they don't need to hear that all the time because that just becomes white noise. But if they know they mean something, and I think it's something your parents did very well in terms of for you, it was about, yeah. you know, you have a value and you need to own that. And even when your mother was saying, don't say school, say school, She was was setting that value on you as well as on things that and how how you should approach life for yourself because I think she's saying you deserve it. Um, Yeah. I think she was right.
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, she she was good. It's funny how I've ended up uh, living about 30 seconds from the place she worked and loved. She absolutely loved Clontarf Castle where she worked and I live... Now I live like, yeah, about 30 seconds from the entrance to Clontarf Castle. So it's really funny. I've ended up living so close to her place she loved. Uh, so it's nice. I get to think of her every time I walk by the door.
0: Well, as a psychoanalyst, you better not open that conversation. <laughs> oh, really? But <laughs> <laughs> nowhere let it go. Listen, Ray Ronan, that is absolutely fantastic. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for giving the time. I know you're really busy and I really appreciate you coming on the Asking for a Parent podcast. And if anyone has anything they want to comment about that myself and Marae talked about, you can contact it on at Asking for a Parent on Twitter or askingforaparent at gmail.com. And we'll get to your questions in the next episode. But Marae, Ronan, thanks for now. Thanks, Coleman.
1: I really enjoyed it. Cheers.
0: All the best. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. That was a wonderful Marae, Ronan there. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And we have some great episodes coming up. So keep listening. But until then, Stay safe, take care, bye for now.